Hi, I'm Brandon Miller, CEO, father of seven, and author of two parenting books. And on today's show, we're going to tell you that you are not your parents, and your parents are not you. And you are not your kids, and your kids are not you. So don't be your parents to your kids, and teach your kids to be who they are. Welcome back to part two of our show around parenting. By the way, this episode is brought to you by the awesome Music Project, bringing music, story, and mental health together. All proceeds from the awesome Music Project campaign will go to music, mental health, and research initiatives. You can find out about the beautiful, awesome Music Project coffee table book in the usual places. The book features stories from amazing folks like astronaut Chris Hadfield, um, award-winning artists like Michael Buble, Sarah McLaughlin, and many, many others. And I was even honored to be part of that project. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book, but there are also, there's a foundation. So you can find out more about the Awesome Music Project, uh, the AMP Foundation at theawesomemusicproject.com. All right, so let's get into it. So welcome back to part two of our show, um, this delicious episode with Brendan and Annalyn Miller. They are the co-authors of two books on parenting, the first being Playing to Their Strengths and, and the latest one, Incredible Parent. They're joined with us by Dr. Ryan Darby. He is the president of The Incredible Family and a leading expert in strengths-based parenting. So, Let's get back into it here. We've we talked a lot about the frustration of parenting, how we learn to parent, um, and how it takes a little bit of uh, courage to admit that we might not be doing things as well as we might prefer to do them. But oftentimes, that's a difficult decision. And and coming to this idea of parenting the way we were parented, um, in the first part of the show, Anglin shared with us that she came. Uh, from a uh, single mom, three kids, uh, Brennan, you, uh, you, there's four of you as siblings and uh, Ryan, I think you said there were seven in yours. So, you know, four plus three and then another seven. So there's a lot of sevens <laughs> going on here. You know, are we, are we into numerology? What is it? <laughs> Why did you guys decide to have seven bloody kids in a time when most people, certainly first world people uh, uh, having much less children and statistically, we know it's not any judgment. It's just statistically. Statistically, we know the people who have more children are people who are more religious or, or, or very uh, strict in being religious and or um, uh, lower on the economic scale and often very poor. And that comes from the... Uh, the evolution of humans in the sense of your children become the people who work in the field. I'm assuming that you guys don't have a field. So, no fields. so, <laughs> so you, you might have, I don't know. So tell, talk to us about this decision to have seven kids that today. Is, as we watch this, it's 2021. Right. There's not That's, too many people I have know of who have seven kids. It is, it is very rare. And I will say that originally we wanted four. We had our first three pretty quickly. So our oldest is 27 and um, wanted number four and number and four. we thought we'd be done. Well, and number four didn't come. So we tried for seven years to have number four. Oh, wow. So that's, that's why there's such a gap. So our youngest is 11 and our oldest is 27. 
um, going to so, be 28 and, this year. In the middle there, we, we suffered a, a tubal pregnancy. Yes. And we're actually told by the physicians, you won't have any more children. Yeah, we were told we weren't going to have any more kids. Oh. So we, we, <laughs> After three. We, uh, we assumed that was that, and we were going to be the youngest grandparents ever, which we are. Uh, the older three uh, did paid that forward. They're, they've started their families. But after the seven and a half years, we found out we were pregnant with uh, what we call her. Her name is Michaela. And we said, you are the one of seven we planned. She's for. the only fully the planned only pregnancy. <laughs> because, She's uh, very special. Because everything uh, woke back up. Life found a way. And so it was four. And then a year and a month later, it was five. Okay, and let's now- just pause there. You got, you, you <laughs> four, four shows up. Okay. Yeah. That's a surprise. We didn't think it was getting more. Five. Oh, I guess we weren't taking enough precautions. Six and seven. Hello. Yeah. So, and those are both three years apart. So it was kind of one of those things where we were going back and forth, like, who's going to do the deed, right? Is it you? Is it me? Is it you? Is it me? So in the midst of those arguments, yeah, yeah. in the midst of those arguments, uh, yeah, no, that's when the boys came along. <laughs> In the and midst then of we those were, arguments you weren't celibate. Let's just put it that way. Uh, no, right. no, 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 right. that didn't happen. So, um, so when we're asked, how did you get to seven? We say, we really, uh, played to our strengths. Yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not religious in the sense that that was part of our religion. So we don't, no. we don't operate that way. We don't have an issue with con- contraceptives. Right. <laughs> we weren't thinking uh, that we needed a large family. It was, you know, four, yay, five, okay. Six, oh shit. Um, seven, seven, someone's having surgery. Right, that's it. Someone, someone's going in because this is this is out of control. And I think when we look back, I, I mean, really, it's like having two families. So yes. it's it's the because first of the gap. Oh yeah. The first three are the crash test dummies. You know, they got all the <laughs> they got all the all the bumps and scrapes and bruises. And then the next four really was like, hey, right, we're really parents now. Right. <laughs> like. Like we have a better handle. And so our two at the end, so we have four daughters and a son in the first five. And the last two are our little boys. And we look at the way life has turned out and the relationship with these little guys and the place we're at. And we just think they were gifts. They were yeah. gifts we didn't know we were asking for. And right. it's just been such a blessing because the older three really acted like surrogates. So though when you say seven, it sounds, whoa, but our oldest was a girl and our second, our third was a girl. And they were very maternal, right. very much a part to this day. They they are the second mom, third mom of the kids. And so it, it felt very natural as we were going. Not easy. No, no. no but no. It, it it's still a novelty and it's still something we get asked quite a bit. Like, do you know, do you know what causes that? We <laughs> sure do. And we're good at it. <laughs> so you you, Ryan, you came from a family of you said seven boys? Seven boys. God yep. Bennett. Um, so, uh, what was that like? So, you know, cause we're now flipping it on the other side. What was it like for you to be a, uh, one of those siblings? It was, it was good and hard at the same time. Right. Where so, are you in that birth order? I'm number three. Right. So, um, You're in the middle. Yeah. You, you know, when you're, <laughs> it's funny, I can see all these like lifelong things like I'm a hoarder of food. Like when food is set on the table, I'm just like, I got to consume as much as I can, or it's not going to be there. Right? Yeah. Like I'm just like, 
because that's what that's what dinner was like it was just like yep. grab and go uh my my parents they nailed love but there were seven of us so we did not nail structure in the slightest bit right there was no structure um they tried with the first couple but by the time they were getting to me they were like this is getting exhausted the next one down they're like whatever like you know like you'll figure it out i'll just love you completely let's not worry about anything like going to school or anything um and i'll say like uh you, you said earlier you forgive your parents for me like seeing that see you know I, I remember as a kid being kind of like a little mad like why aren't i in like organized sports why don't like my parents um put me in these after school clubs or camps or anything and then i think we had seven kids on like mm -hmm. state state government workers salary i'm surprised they got fed right <laughs> like and so I start to understand a little bit more and that understanding led me to like feel a lot of like respect for how well they showed up, but that was chaos for my parents. It was a real struggle. Like they all came at once. Everybody's like a year and a half apart. So they literally had no breaks. Right. The whole thing. So, but there's, I mean, let's, let's talk about the, the, the psychological impact of this, because I think this is a, a, something that we've gotten to realize a little bit better as we've developed. Um, so I'm the eldest of a bunch of kids. Um, there's actually nine in my family, but they're not from the same parents. So, you know, we have half brothers, half sisters, but there was initially four of us, uh, and I'm the eldest and my dad disappeared when I was seven and very nicely. Thank you so much. Um, knighted me. Uh, I can remember coming down the stairs into this dark hallway the door was open, so there was light outside, and there was a full-blown silhouette in the doorway. It was my father, uh, who was sort of blocking out most of the light, and some intuitively I knew he was going, and I said, Dad, Dad, and he turned around, walked back towards me, crouched down, put one hand on one shoulder, ruffled my hand, put the hand on the other shoulder. That's why I say he knighted me. It was like he was knighting, and he said, I'm going now, son. You're the man of the house. I was seven. I had three younger siblings and um, my mom was an emotional mess. So part of the challenge of this, and my sister and I have talked about this very much recently, she's the next one in line, um, is that we took on parenting roles at a ridiculous age. And so it's my pushback on when you say your girls were maternal. Yeah, that's, you know, I get it, but mm, I have some issues with it because why are you maternal when you need to be a kid? Like, you know, I didn't play. I didn't know how to play. And we know um, we, we, we talk a lot about, particularly these days, we talk a lot about sleep deprivation, right? But we actually know now there's a lot of fabulous research coming out around play deprivation, mm. right? And the impact that that has on children. Play dep dep uh, deprivation is profoundly impactful. We talked about it on one of my shows that we did here on Curiosity Bites with Howard Bloom, where we talked about Michael Jackson. He knew Michael Jackson personally and very well. And we talked about Michael Jackson's play deprivation and what that did to him. So when you're the, at the elder end of that big family and you take on this parenting role of your younger siblings, the responsibility goes through the yin-yang and now you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in a parenting role rather than a childlike role. So 
And and if you and just you think about you, Annalyn, I don't know where you are in that three, but mm-hmm. if you had a single parent, are you number one? So as a single parent, you probably took on that role too, right? You did yes, some parenting. Totally experienced you it. Yes. Shouldn't have been a parent. You should have been a kid. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm really interested in that um, because again, now we go back to the the blank slate, right? Whether it's trained or whether it's biological. Because somebody would say, well, you know, you're very, for me, I'm very nurturing, I'm very loving, but I'm also very much a leader. Yeah? Well, is that my DNA? Or is that the fact that I was a dad at seven? Right. Right? And became a dad in my own life at 19 as well. Right? So, you know, when people used to say, oh, you're very mature. Yeah, but no. I mean, it was really out of necessity so this is this is my interesting thing around this whole thing around how you guys are looking at parenting um because that's not the developmental psychology of humanity that's the developmental psychology of somebody born into a family that is in many ways fucked um because parents are you know they're they're just trying to deal with shit and it's just too much and so it falls on the eldest child and then on the next child. And so when I bug it off out of, the, uh, out of the family at 15, you know, my sister took over. She was, you know, she was two years younger than me. She took over and she became parent to the siblings, to the younger ones, uh, which were now even more because it was stepkids or half, half siblings. So talk to us about, I want to hear from you guys about your thoughts on what I just put forward. Because I realized I just backed up the truck there. <laughs> no, I appreciate that though, because I will say that we we did come to a point where with the olders, where we realized there was a set of responsibilities that were totally not at their age level in terms of things that we were expectations, right? Expectations of behavior or their involvement in, in family um, activities, et cetera. And we did come to a place where, and I don't know how old they were, where we said, okay, any type of help with babies or toddlers or grade schoolers, you know, any type of babysitting is now optional. And we brought that into with the old, when they were a little older, it's optional now. And so it was always, I, we were going to ask them, would you like to? And if you would like to, this is what you would earn. And if not, that's okay. And so and we would bring in other, other yeah, we, support when they didn't want to. Right. Whatever. We would just call in a sitter, you know, if they were like, you know, I really don't feel like babysitting and they might be home and just doing whatever. Sure. Um, and, and, but that happened probably what about 13. And the older one, our oldest Bailey would yeah. tend to say, I, I, I want to, I'll watch. She bonded with our, I think it was her and David or her and Maddie, yeah. our, our four and five. And then our next daughter really bonded with the young one. So whether that was by necessity of being there, I think right. we could look back and say, yeah, we probably did impose too much responsibility. Oh, we absolutely on did. People who weren't ready you know? for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I would I would take that as a as a really fair assessment. Uh, and I think along the way we had to, we did have to course correct because what you're saying is right. We didn't want them to lose a part of who they are or where they were trying to go by us becoming to them an expectation of, hey, you gotta, you gotta be like, you gotta 
Almost right. like you got to earn your stripes. You're part of this family, which is, you know, a common thing. Like we've never said it. You're a part of this family. And so you darn do what you need to do, right? Like no, no choice. And when we eliminated that, I think it really did change the dynamics though, because then it was a, a conversation and they, and they weren't afraid to say no. We, we found that a lot of times they were doing things just to make us happy. I mean, because it was like, you know, you didn't have any consequences or, you know, uh, you know, we were happy with them, quote unquote, happy, happy with them. And when they realized that they could start being really honest with us, um, it did open, I think the door for, you know, future conversations that as teenagers, I think if we hadn't opened that door, probably wouldn't have happened, you know? serious conversations, you know, with, with our kids. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I was asking you, Ryan, about, you know, what it was like being in the middle of seven kids. Yeah, there's, there's, you remind me of um, this really interesting studies looking at birth order effects on personality. Yeah. So re- like researchers have like really desired to know, okay, our firstborns this way, secondborns this way. And the data is like, yeah, there are birth order differences, right? So firstborns tend to be a little bit more assertive, a little bit more achievement-oriented, responsible. But I'm always surprised by how small the effect is. Mm-hmm. So the difference between ages like, is so much less, so much smaller, meaning first and seconds, that difference is so much smaller than the difference within an age. So firstborns, yeah. They look so, so very different from each other. Um, and yeah, maybe on average a little bit different from second boards, but not by much. No. So it strikes me then that this model that we need to just remember is you, Doug, you turned out who you are because you took your genetics, you took who you are, you took, you know, your biology, and then you gave it this social situation, this nurture and that combination turned into this person who is a leader, who is nurturing, who is caring, right? But you give it to another person who same situation, dad does the same thing. That person completely says, no, I'm out. I, I won't be that person. I'll be mean. I'll be abusive. I'll be, I don't want to take care of these kids. It's not my responsibility. And they turn into, you know, a narcissistic jerk, right? Like sure. whatever it is. And so it is that combination. I think that's what's really important about as parents is we have to remember to parent to the kid we have so firstborns if you got a firstborn that has like a go-getter strength who is naturally responsible and you give them some of the stuff that Annalyn and Brandon were talking about they're going to thrive on that yes Um, you give it to somebody else I'm sorry they're they're going to be like no this is awful I hate this I hate you I want out of here and so we have to we really have to parent the kid we the kid we have so, you know, and that's what I like about um, about your first book and, and, and about what you're talking about here is yeah. that you're parenting to that individual rather than this is the theory of parenting. Right, right. So a lot of what we had before was, you know, uh, Dr. Spock, and this is how you parent, right? And, and it's not. So, so I appreciate I that you're coming at it from this parenting to the individual. 
think, I think there are some universals that we, we need to remember. And this is really like going back to Harlow monkey studies, like way back start of attachment theories, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this just to repeat it for your listeners. They want to know, like, does love matter or does, does giving your child enough food and water matter? So they took these baby monkeys and they gave it an option of a, uh, a mesh monkey that had like a cloth over it that felt really warm or cuddly as a surrogate mom, or the baby could go to a mesh monkey that was all wires and like hard, but that mesh monkey would feed it milk, right? So they could go to one surrogate mom that fed it or another one that felt warm and cuddly. And it turns out the babies would go get milk from the one that fed it, but then immediately go to the mom that was all warm and cuddly. Like they would get warmth, like literal warmth and bonding. And those babies turned out pretty well. When they took away the mesh, the cloth mom, the mom that gave the warm and fuzzies and just put the mom that fed the milk, those, those kids, they developed what we, we would call them psychiatric disorders, right? Yep. They were banging their heads. They would like do these repetitive behaviors. You would introduce them to other monkeys and they would get all aggressive. When they had kids, they were abusive to their kids. Like they turned out really, really poor. So, I mean, from our basic biological level, every single kid out there has a need for immense warmth immense love like you can't get around that we need to fill our kids so full of love that they know like they're unconditionally loved then after that then like then it's about who the kid is who you are and there's tons of dynamics and it's going to change and there's very few universals after that but everybody has that that basic one right so, so let, let's address that one because that is an important one is one I wanted to go into. So, so let's, let's explore that part a, a little bit more because, you know, we're talking about this, the distinction between, you know, getting the love and the nurturance versus getting the food. But now we come to a huge, huge subject, which is love. Right. And I used to do this work all the time uh, in the conscious parenting in the in the we used to do a soulmates for singles and the soulmates for couples program. And we and here's the question I would ask, what is love? And then we'd go around the room. Oh, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's this. It's that, you know, people would and, you know, all these variants of answers. And so, you know, we talk about love. And we've talked about this warm feeling from the monkey, right? Now we know that that's, there's a lot more to love than that. We know that love is, is a neurobiological response, uh, PEA, phenethylamine, which I cannot pronounce. I know I said it wrong because I can't pronounce it. Um, I'm okay with that. <laughs> My wife is every time is like, she gives me the glare because she can say it right. Um, she has a medical background. Um, but we know that there's a biological neurological response to love. Um, and so, you know, a lot of when I will ask uh, people I work with, I'll say, how do you know you were loved? And oftentimes people will respond with the things you guys talked about earlier, which is we had a roof over our head. Uh, we had food on the table. Uh, my mom tucked me in at night. Uh, you know, dad worked hard or you know, mom was very loving and permissive, useless at discipline, you know. So talk to us about this, because if you're going to teach parenting, that's something you're going to have to confront. Well, I'm very loving. 
no, you're kind of a dick, but you know, but you think you're loving and I get that. Right. So talk to us about how you guys uh, confront that. Cause that is a, that if there's something I don't want to be wrong about, I being a human being is that my loving is not loving. I, I don't want to admit that one. Right. We talked about that frustration piece before. So how do you guys confront this, this love in the context of, uh, discipline and nurturance and the blend between the two. Talk to us a little bit about that. Anyone can pick it up. The ball. Dr. Ryan. Go ahead, yeah, Ryan. It's, it's, it's a great question. So um, it's trying to answer one like the Greeks are debating, right? Like, what does it mean? Um, but I'll tell you, like, I think that it's very important that we recognize that people have different ways that they feel love. Right. And this gets back to, again, our individual differences, my personality, my strengths, my things. Sure. So, you know, five love languages is the classic. I'm fine with that. If that's the model you want to use. So I, I feel loved when I get quality time, physical touch, those type of things. My wife is more quality time, verbal affirmations. But at the end, when I think about what love really means is it's unconditional acceptance combined with unconditional desire to make that person feel appreciated right to feel how they feel loved so um i think at its at our core we all have this need for that unconditional acceptance that unconditional positive regard is you know we in psychology refer to it that not only do i like you but i love you right i see i see you unconditionally no matter what um but it is it is a hard one to really get a finger on what exactly we mean by it um well, I think, you know, part of the challenge is, and I'm going to push you back on, push back on something you just said, yeah. which is one of the most dangerous words in my mind uh, of all is unconditional. That, you know, unconditional is a terrible word because if the, if the dog shits on the rug and you go, well, I'm unconditionally loving it, so I won't do anything. And that for a lot of people, that's what unconditional means. It means that we just, we're going to love you unconditionally, honey. The fact that you're shooting up heroin in the, in the kid's bedroom. I, well, we love you unconditionally. No, that's not love. Not in my world anyway. So this unconditional piece is, is a very slippery slope. I remember somebody I was working with many years ago when I was studying, um, what are you? <laughs> Uh, which I called the course in marigolds. It was course in miracles. Um, and, and they were in a relationship and they, you know, they said, but you, know, you got to be unconditionally loving. And I'm like, your partner is abusive. <laughs> this <laughs> is abuse. And when you talk about unconditional love, you are validating and empowering abuse. That's not loving. You know what I'm just, you know, I understand this person has issues and they're acting out of those issues and I'm unconditionally loving. No, you are validating, you are compounding the damage. And so when oftentimes as parents, you know, when we hear these parents are saying, we don't use the N word and that's not the same N word as you think it is. The N word is no, we don't use the N word. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> right. Don't have that word in your vocabulary. You got some serious problems, dude. So you know, talk to us about, because that unconditional thing is like, yeah. like I said, for me is a razor's edge. Yeah. I, I want you to correct it. If you feel differently, that's fine. I do. But I, th I think Brandon, you were going to speak. Yeah. I, well, let me give you a chance to retract or, or rephrase yeah. or whatever you want to say. To oh, that. no, 
I'll remain with the unconditional. So I I firmly believe um, it's unconditional positive regard, unconditional love. Now, that being said, like we can hold love and regard for a person while being still mad as hell at that person and still saying, hey, you'll never do that. No, we don't. We don't do crack in the bedroom. I'm sorry. You can't (laughs) live with me. Like I will still love you, but if you're going to abuse your siblings, if you're going to abuse me, you can't live in this home. I will still love you and always want what's best for you. And I'll do what I can to have the best. So those things aren't mutually exclusive by any means. In fact, what I would argue is those of us that don't do the structure and correction side, don't truly unconditionally love our our children or love. That's my point. Because if we're not willing to do the hard things for them and every single one of us needs somebody to be able to say, Hey, Hey, you're acting like a jerk. Stop. (laughs) Right. Like in every single one of us needs somebody to be like, Ooh, you need to do better on this. Right. We all need structure. We all need correction. And if you're not willing to give those things, like in my heart, I'm saying, are you truly unconditionally? Or are you saying, I only love you if our relationship is good. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I agree with you, but this is why I'm saying the challenges is that the misinterpretation, the danger of this word is unconditional, which becomes unstructured. And yes. so I agree with you. I do unconditionally love my, my, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, and the people I love. Absolutely. And I'm going to continue to love them. And I've often said, I still love every human being I've ever loved, you know, ex-girlfriends, all of them. Some mm-hmm. of them, I never want to be in a room with ever again. Right. Some of them, if I saw them in the street, I would go the other way. <laughs> I, I can feel the love of that human being. There are people, uh, you know, from a spiritual point of view, who I completely disagree with and think we're really sick individuals but i can love the soul of that human being and mm-hmm. totally disagree with the behavior but it's really interesting that that level of discernment of the distinction between those two things is yes. where i have a problem with the word because it gets taken out of context that's why so i'm not disagreeing with you ryan i yeah. agree with you the challenge is the education of this understanding of this subjective meaning of this word unconditional yeah, I think it's I think it's an even bigger problem than just how we view our kids. I think as a society Absolutely. today, we yep. truly feel like you can't have negative emotions. If you're not having the best day ever, if you're not YOLOing right now, <laughs> right? You only live once, then what's what's yeah, what's worth what's it worth, right? Yeah. Like life on Instagram. Oh my gosh, it drives me crazy. And like a full life is one where you're sad. Yep. You're going to be sad a lot. You're going to be angry. You're going to be fearful. Like all of these emotions have purposes. They're great. They belong inside of a family. Yes. Inside your family, you should get mad at each other, right? That that is part of a healthy family, but that doesn't mean that we don't love each other. And that's the point you're making. So I think as a society, we need to say like, Hey, whoa, whoa, it's okay to have conflict. It's okay to have negative emotions. That's perfectly healthy and you know, needed in many regards. So how do you guys confront that when you're dealing with the parenting side of, not just it as, as parents, but even as, as helping other parents, you know, because again, this misunderstanding of this unconditional or the other side of it, which is um, often just rules-based, not mm-hmm. boundaries, but rules, which are vastly different rules-based and rigid and fixed or this 
blanket unconditional love, which is I'm rolling out the carpet and, you know, she'll take a shit on the rug. It's fine. Yeah, I think we lead our, our second book, Incredible Parent, with the two questions every child has for their, their mom and dad uh, is, uh, do you love me? Question number one, which most of us would say, of course I do. Of course I love you. Of course I am favorably disposed toward you. Of course I want your good. Of course I'm committed to your well-being. And that, and, and so we, we can camp there around, what does that mean? Do I love you? And how that child interprets it. But the second question we think every child innately has is, will you let me do everything I want to do? <laughs> and so as a parent, if I understand both questions are, are going to present themselves, then if I love my child, the answer to the second question is firmly no. no. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to do everything you want to do because I love you. <laughs> And I won't let you shit on the carpet and I won't let you throw your food across the restaurant and I won't let you act in a way that's inappropriate. And, and, and when you're an adult, if you are not a good person, I will call you on your stuff. I will tell you, even as long as I have influence in your life, what you're doing is not okay because I love you. And, and, and if you were in need and if your family was in need, yes, I would show up. <laughs> Yes, I would be there because I do love you. And so it, I think it has to straddle the line of the warmth and the and the nurture and the care and the interest, right? And the long suffering, the, the willingness to go the, 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 the distance if necessary, as well as at the same time, and there's boundaries and there's, there's rules. And, there, and this is important because the world is not going to give on you. The world is not going to let up. They're going to say no a whole bunch of times. So let's let's figure out what the structure looks like as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're already at the end of part two of our delicious episodes of Curiosity Bites. Uh, we're here with here with Brandon and Annalyn Miller, and of course Dr. Ryan Darby, and we're talking about what it takes to really parent really parent the balance of parenting between love and boundaries what it really means to unconditionally love but very conditionally check behavior and understanding of social norms and how to be a productive member of society and we've even looking at the expectations that we put on our kids and maybe how some of those are unhealthy and how we have to change them and be willing to admit that we're doing things wrong we're going to come back in part three so stay curious my friends stay curious because we're just one click away from part three of this delicious episode of curiosity bites stay curious my friend stay curious <laughs>